this is Desi. Welcome back to my podcast, Candle in a Dark Room. So today we are going to talk about the big ED, eating disorders. You know, to start off, I just kind of want to bring up today's society. Today's society is so focused on looks, weight, who has a bigger butt, who has the most perfect lips, who has the best hair, all of that stuff that is constantly comparing people to other people. Don't get me wrong. I get my lashes done. I do my nails, obviously my hair, things like that. But here is when it really starts to screw up your brain. When you're going on social media and you see somebody who has the perfect body, the perfect husband, the perfect life, the living on the beach somewhere and like just having this perfect picture life that you want. And that is where it messes up your brain and it starts really screwing with your self-confidence. You know, and I've done that. I've caught myself doing that plenty of times. See somebody online and I'm like, oh my gosh, they have the perfect butt. I want to start doing extra exercises to get rid of my cellulite and have the perfect butt with no cellulite and perfect legs and this and that. But the truth is, yes, some of them are natural and some of them work their butt off for the bodies that they have. But some of them, like, you know, I'm just going to throw it out there, Kylie Jenner, who a lot of young girls constantly compare themselves to, yes, she's beautiful, 100%. But let me just tell you, that is not what the girl looked like 10 years ago. That is not natural. That is not her natural butt, her natural lips, her natural everything. She paid for that. And again, I'm not going to pass judgment. If you have the money to do that, then that's perfectly fine. You want to get Botox? That's perfectly fine. I have nothing bad to say about that. But what I do have to say is if other people are comparing themselves to those people, then all it's going to do is cause a lot of negative confidence issues in your life. You're going to have no confidence within yourself if you're constantly comparing yourself to people online. And, you know, I've dealt with body issues my entire life. I'm a thick girl. I'm a Latina. I have a big butt. I've got a small waist, but big butt, big legs. You know, I'm just, I'm not that natural thin body type. And for a long time and a lot of years, it was really hard for me. I was a dancer and I always wanted that dancer body of like long legs, thin body, skinny, tall, you know, all of that. And That is, I think, what kind of originally really made me think about the eating disorder. You know, I think I've always had a negative relationship with food for as long as I can remember. You know, growing up, my mom was overweight. She has some thyroid issues and always struggled with weight when I was growing up. And she and my aunt and my grandma and my family all struggled with those type of things, struggled with weight issues, their weight fluctuating. They were, you know, really heavy and then not so heavy and then really heavy. And, you know, so they always constantly, what's the next diet? And even still, I know people in my family and people, even my friends in my life and, oh, I'm going on this cleanse. I'm going on this diet. You know, I do the same thing. I don't try, I try not to say the word diet, but I definitely say, okay, I'm going to go on a juice cleanse. I'm going to you know, just eat fruits and veggies for a couple days and cleanse my body out. That is okay if you're doing it for health reasons. Now, if you're doing it for, I'm going to just drink juice and liquids 10 days straight and starve myself, 
I personally don't think there's anything healthy in that because all it's going to do is, yeah, you're going to, it's going to detox the crap out of you. But when you eat again, it's all going to stick to you. Um, again, I think when I had that bad relationship with food growing up, it was little things like, oh, I probably shouldn't eat this because I'm, it's not healthy. You know, seeing my friends again who were really small and thin and had that body that I just didn't have. I was overweight as a child because my metabolism does suck. It's not great. And I always had to work extra hard to lose and to stay in shape my entire life. And so I think from a young age, I just realized looks were important, at least to the society that I, you know, the people that I was around. And it is, it's huge in our society nowadays. Looks are like a big deal. And I hate it because it shouldn't be. Somebody's worth has nothing to do with their weight. And that's why I kind of wanted to do this podcast because I remember being in elementary school and trying to make friends and, you know, kind of do that whole thing socially. And like girls were mean. Girls were mean to me because I was a little bit chubby. I was not fat or really obese or anything like that. I was just chubby and girls treated me horribly for it. Constantly making fun of me and saying mean things to me and making it known that I was the chubby girl. And that killed my self-confidence. And that was probably around fourth grade is when I really noticed it was starting to be an issue. Um, I'm not exactly sure if that's when my eating, actual eating habits started to get bad, but it definitely was around that time when I noticed that my weight was important. It was an important factor in my social life. And as you know, from my previous story about when I was growing up and the things that I went through, that's around the time when things were getting really bad in my sexual abuse. And I remember the day that I thought if I started eating and throwing up, that maybe he would think that I'm disgusting and leave me alone. I remember watching a show with the girl from Growing Pains when I was in high school about her having an eating disorder and not thinking, oh, maybe I shouldn't do that. Instead, I thought the opposite. Like, oh, I'm going to do that because look how gross it is. If I do that, then maybe he'll leave me alone. At the same time, all I wanted was to fit in. So I thought maybe if I lost weight, other girls would think that I was cool and I would get more friends. So that's kind of when it started. I just remember like always eating something and thinking like, oh my gosh, is this going to make me fat? Is this going to, and it's really sad because I use that word fat. As a fourth grader, using the word fat is not okay. Like why was I even, why did I even know what that meant and how mean that was? But I said it to myself constantly. I remember looking in the mirror at that age and getting dressed and just being like, I hated my body and being devastated about it. But at the same time, I had so much going on that I didn't really care. So I remember the first time I binged and purged and the feeling it gave me was amazing. And I and I hate to even admit that, but I remember it was because it was all of the crap that I had been going through with my stepdad. All the stuff I had been going through at home was stuffed in and Throwing up was a release for me. It really just felt like 50 pounds got off my shoulders and I felt so much relief. 
And as I got older, it got worse. You know, I meant, I think I mentioned in one of my earlier podcasts that I got really bad in about sixth grade, no, seventh grade. And I was walking home from school and was found by a teacher and I believe a couple on the side of the road and I had passed out. I remember always being dizzy. At that point, I wasn't just bulimic. I'd kind of learned, I, you know, I was still new at this. I was young, trying to figure it out. I remember watching, like, again, the show with Tracy Gold and trying to get all these tips. They were supposed to be awareness videos, but I took all the negative from it and made it a positive in my own mind. And I wasn't just binging and purging. I was also restricting. And I would restrict for days. And I remember, like, throwing food in the garbage and, like, pretending like I ate it. Just getting rid of it the best I could. Um, I do remember specifically from an eating disorder video seeing the girl throw up in jars and then hiding it in her closet and I remember thinking that's a great idea and I did it and I didn't do tons of jars I think I only did it maybe once or twice I was just trying to be the most destructive person to my own body as I could Um, I hadn't discovered self-harm or any of that yet, like cutting or anything. So my eating disorder was the only thing that I was controlling at that moment. And that's the thing with eating disorders. Most of the time, it doesn't have to do with our weight. It doesn't start with our weight, at least. At least for me, I think the biggest thing was it was something that I could control. Yes, weight was a huge thing because, again, of my social life and I, you know, thought it was going to help. But mostly... It was something I could control and that he couldn't control. And so I knew I got to decide if, when, and how I ate, if I kept it down, and all of that. And so, yeah, I took full advantage of that and let it get out of control. Um, You know, it continued to get bad. I was in rehab. I remember they would give me shakes. I would have to, like, sit in the lunchroom for two hours after eating And they would watch me and I wasn't allowed to go to the bathroom. I wasn't allowed to use a garbage can. And I would just cry for weeks this happened. I would just eat and cry, eat and cry. And if I didn't eat, then they would threaten to take me to the hospital and put a feeding tube on me. Because at that point, I had lost a lot of weight. Also, I had been diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. And obviously, my sugars were crazy because of my eating disorder. So that was kind of the big reason They wanted to get it under control was because it was affecting me. I had also realized that if I messed with my insulin enough by not taking it, letting my blood sugar get really high, things like that, that also helped me lose weight. Again, it was something I can control. I wasn't going to let anybody control my diabetes. That was something I could choose to do. And I mean, they tried to control the best they could, but I definitely on the DL and behind their back was messing with it. And I was losing more weight and just getting more and more sick. So I ended up being, like I said, in treatment for two years. And during that two years was on and off between there and inpatient because of my eating disorder and suicide attempts. My eating disorder had started affecting my actual body. My, I started getting really bad, like, I don't know how to explain it, like heartburn almost, but it wasn't heartburn. Like I would drink and my throat, I would drink water and my throat would burn. I would, you know, have like bad pain in my chest, things like that. And I ended up going to the doctor when I was a little bit older. I actually have a hole the size of a golf ball in my esophagus. 
Um, I'm supposed to get surgery for it, but I have chosen not to do that yet. Kind of scares me, but I am going to do that soon because if you know me, you've seen most likely that when I take a drink of water, my throat closes up. It sometimes closes up to the point where I have to spit the water out and then I have a full on like choking, coughing attack because it's really hard for my throat and esophagus to adjust when I take drinks. Like it's like my throat and stuff is trying to drink faster than my esophagus can handle. And so it reacts and closes up and then basically the liquid's stuck in my chest and I choke. My teeth are like, you couldn't really tell if you looked, but they're super thin. They're not healthy at all. And that's from all the acid from throwing up. And I didn't realize that until I went to the dentist one year. And the lady came out and was like, do you have really bad like morning sickness or anything? And I was, you know, I told her I'm not pregnant. And she said, well, your teeth are like basically acid, like acids rotting them away. They're super thin. And I'm surprised that you can even eat or drink or anything hot or cold with them. But yeah, she did say that it was from the acid and I ended up telling her, oh, it's because I do struggle with an eating disorder. So she, she, right away she was like, yep, that's that's what it is. Like your teeth are going to basically go to nothing if you don't stop throwing up all the time. So, you know, when I was in rehab, I had been around people that had eating disorders. Um, a friend of mine had a feeding tube and I saw her had deal with that. And at one point I had one but I only had it for, I think it was a week. I didn't have it very long. It was because I was refusing to eat. And again, with my blood sugar, that wasn't allowed. So I ended up going to inpatient. I ended up having a feeding tube for a week. And my one friend, I remember she had hers for months and had to carry it around with the thing with wheels that you carry like the bags on. And she had to have that everywhere she went, like to school, to her room, to the bathroom. Like it was really 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 like complicated and I'm sure annoying for her but I ended up meeting a friend and we became really really close and our entire relationship was pretty negative not negative I'm sorry we were good friends it was more toxic um she struggled with the eating disorder pretty bad and cutting and things like that and so did I those are the things that I struggled with so we definitely fed off each other we would go on like home visits and we'd hang out. We weren't supposed to, but we would. And we'd hang out. We lived pretty close. So I'd go to her house a lot. And I remember it got to the point where we would be down in her basement with, you know, us and her mom and dad would be upstairs. And we would be down in her basement. And one of us would be kind of blocking and watching out on the stairs while the other person would go and throw up. Like we'd eat all upstairs with her mom and dad and eat like ice cream and crap or whatever we wanted to eat and then we'd go downstairs and basically I don't remember the conversation we had we just like would give each other a look and one person would go first and then the next person would go and we would literally sit there and listen to each other throw up and then we would come out of the bathroom we would just be like oh my gosh I feel so much better and then continue our night like it was so toxic we didn't even try to talk each other out of it we were talking like we were just being total enablers for each other and I mean, I'm pretty sure like we did that for, I don't even know how long, like that went on for a while and same with self-harm. Like we would self-harm and then we would like compare scars and like cuts and like look at each other's arms and be like, oh my gosh, that, that one's a good one. That one's deep or, you know, vice versa. Like 
I don't know what we were thinking or anything like that. But yeah, I mean, it was not good. It was not healthy at all. And again, that went on for a while. And finally, um, I don't remember exactly what happened. I think when I moved to New Mexico, we lost touch. So it was just not a healthy relationship at all. And especially nothing towards her. It was just our disorders and things that we were dealing with were taking a toll on each other and we were just enabling each other. And when you're in recovery from anything, whether it's drugs, alcohol, self-harm, eating disorders, like anything, your sponsor, whoever's like there for you is going to tell you to not be around enablers and don't be around people that are going to be like, come on, let's just do one shot. Let's just do one line. Whatever it is that they're going to tell you, they're going to not, they're not going to tell you to go hang out with those people that are going to enable those behaviors. And we were told not to do that, but we went behind our programs back and we did it anyway. And I will say that that probably had a huge toll in both our recoveries because to be honest, I don't know if she's in recovery today, but it kind of does make me feel guilty because I wish I would have been a better friend and better support system for her. And maybe would, I would have been able to help her through it and vice versa. If she would have been that for me, maybe she would have been able to help me through it a lot sooner than, than what I went through. Um, so yeah, you know, and here's the thing. If you have an eating disorder, you know that it does not go away. I feel like people that are addicts for drugs and alcohol, yeah, it's super hard. I like don't even question that at all. And I know they go through their withdrawals and they crave and do all those things for any type of substance that they want to use. But the thing is, is they can avoid people and places to avoid whatever their drug of choice is. And unfortunately, with an eating disorder, we can't do that. We can't avoid food. You need food to live. It's our fuel. And if we don't have that, then we don't survive, obviously. So every single day, if you have an eating disorder, you know that every single day you are in front of your worst enemy, which is food. I have to watch myself because I will start getting obsessed. But back in the day, I remember literally eating and then going to stand on my scale. And if I ate more than a certain amount of food, I would throw up until I got to that certain amount of food. It's really just a super unhealthy thing to do to yourself. I weighed myself, I'm not even kidding, probably at least six times a day. When I would eat, drink, fill, bloated, anything, I would weigh myself. And I became like super obsessed with all of my food, counting my calories, tracking it on my phone. I really am still to this day bad at night eating I don't eat hardly very much during the day because I'm so busy with my kids and my job and my other job and then podcast stuff. And, you know, I don't eat as often as I should. I'm working on like having granola bars and having those things on me. But because I don't eat like I should, all of a sudden at eight o'clock at night, I'm starving. And I'm like, oh, I'm gonna have a bowl of cereal. And that's the stuff that's like super bad for me because what happens is my husband goes to sleep. I continue to eat. And next thing I know, I started to binge eat and I need to throw up. And it's just such a bad thing. Again, this is all stuff that I did in my past. It's not so much now. Um, I'm not going to lie and say I don't have my days where I really contemplate throwing up, but I'm a lot more honest about it now. And I'll wake up my husband or, 
you know, do something to distract myself to where I don't do that. But at night was a super big trigger for me. I think especially because that's when my abuse would happen. I don't sleep very much. Like even now, I'm just not a big sleeper. I don't take any sleep medication. So I sometimes I'm up until four or five o'clock in the morning. And so what better to do than to watch a movie and eat crap, right? And so now what I've done is I'll have like an apple with peanut butter if I want something sweet. You know, I'll pick other things that are a little bit more healthy. That way I don't feel as guilty eating them. But yeah, I mean, those are the things that I'm constantly facing with food and especially holidays. Like holidays are the worst. Birthdays, Christmas, like all the good stuff. And don't get me wrong, like I want to eat it, but then I eat it and I instantly feel guilt. Like I instantly feel it. And that's probably the worst thing that I still deal with. And if you've dealt with an eating disorder, you know what I'm talking about. Like even when I eat healthy, if I felt like I ate too much of something healthy, I feel sick and guilty and I want to throw up. So yeah, I've been in recovery for a while, but it's still something that I battle every single day. It's something that constantly is work. I think it's something I'm going to have to face for the rest of my life and hopefully it gets easier. But until then, I just have to be patient with myself and be honest with my husband and let him know when I'm struggling and triggered. And yeah, that's all I can really do for myself. Like I said earlier, biggest thing with society nowadays is comparing ourselves to others. And I was looking up statistics and here's a couple of things that I found. And it is teenagers 14 to 18 is super common and adults. 19 to 40 is super common. One in five women struggle with an eating disorder, whether it's anorexia, bulimia, or binge eating. Like that is a huge, huge, huge like number. One in five people, like think about it. 20 people in the room, four people have an eating disorder. Like that's, I don't know. I just think that's a lot bigger than I, than I expected. Um, men do have eating disorders, but it is definitely a lot more common for women to have it. I think that eating disorders also screws with your mental health. If you have mental health and you have an eating disorder problem, they go hand in hand. Yeah, you don't need to have an eating disorder if you have mental health or if you have mental health, you don't have to have an eating disorder. But if you happen to have both like I do, they definitely like to sneak up on you and go against you at the same time. And that's what I struggle with the most. And again, it also just affects your body in so many ways. So if you have bulimia or anorexia, it can affect your brain with depression, fear of gaining weight, anxiety, bad memory, dizziness, and low self-esteem, which I can say on all of those, yes, the dizziness is a huge thing. Like even to this day, I will get super dizzy all of a sudden and it's really annoying. It affects your heart. I know two people that have lost somebody because of an eating disorder and they had a heart attack. And both of them were like under 30 years old. I think the one of them was like 18. Like it's, in, it's crazy how young they were. But it affects your heart muscle. You can go into heart failure, low pulse, and blood pressure. So not only did I, you know, binge and purge, but I totally abused laxatives. We, you know, I have this poo tea. That's what I call it, poo tea. But I used to like double, triple bag it. And it's like basically taking a handful of laxatives. And I did that so many times, just so bad. Um, I actually worked with a girl who had 
done laxatives for so many years and abused them for so many years that she literally had to get surgery to basically fix that whole area because she had messed it up so much. This is this is real life. Like this is what it can do to your body. And I don't think people that are doing it at the time think it's going to ever happen to their body. Oh, my body's strong. It will be fine until it isn't one day and you're having a heart attack at, you know, 25, 30 years old. It can also affect your skin. I bruise super easily gives you dry knuckles my hands I have like bruises on my right hands that have not gone gone away from when I used to throw up a lot Um, I guess just cause like almost a scar it can give you brittle nails I'm a nail tech I have to have acrylic nails all the time my nails are shit like I can't do anything with my natural nails I have to have fake nails so that really sucks. Um, it definitely makes your skin yellow. I used to get really pale and I look at like old pictures and I was like yellow. And that was what I was doing to my own body. Dehydration, low potassium. Every single time I go to the doctor, I almost always have to get an IV. Every single time. It never fails. I've had pick lines because my veins don't work very well. Just not healthy at all. With bulimia, You get swollen cheeks and like sores in your mouth from just throwing up all the time. You can get cavities really easily, gum disease. Again, the tooth enamel can really just disappear from the acid. Throat and esophagus can tear and rupture. And that is what happened to me. That is probably my biggest regret. You know, I already have a scratchy voice, but it's so much worse from my eating disorder. Again, it's something that I really get angry at myself about because I did these things to myself with my eating disorder and I could have completely avoided them, but I didn't. And it's something I really, really regret. Your stomach can get ulcers, pain, all kinds of stuff. Like I still to this day get really bad stomach aches if I eat something, Um, even if it's something super tiny. If my stomach's not in the mood to eat that day and I force it to, my stomach will seriously get the worst stomach ache and I hate it. Um, my hormones, I can't even have any more children and I have to be on a birth control to keep my hormones straight because my hormones are so messed up and a lot of it has to do with my eating disorder. I just screwed them up so bad. I didn't have periods on and off. When I would have periods, they weren't ever regular. Just that's the kind of stuff it really affected. I know a couple of different people that are in recovery and haven't had a period for like two years. And that's their goal is to like get a period again. Because if you get a period, it means your body is a lot more healthier. You get swollen joints, bone loss, and fractures really easily. And you're very fatigued. When I was in my eating disorder and my eating disorder was in full effect, I was more fatigued than I was when I was pregnant. I would have days where I could barely get out of bed because I was just so physically exhausted. And... Again, that all just has to do with stuff that I did to myself. When I say to myself, it's not like I did it intentionally, but it's the fact that I didn't ask for help and I wasn't honest when people would ask me. And so it went on for so, so, so many years to where if I would have been honest and come forward, I could have got help a lot earlier and hopefully and probably would have prevented a lot of these health problems that I have today because of it. So here are six ways to help a loved one with an eating disorder. If you recognize that someone has an eating disorder, here's some things that you can do to help them get through it. 
first is lead with love. The only way people truly change is through persistent love, encouragement, and connection. Lead with love. Set your concern and worry aside and focus on showing the person who is struggling your unconditional love and support. Two, recognize that an eating disorder is not a choice. It is a behavior that is rooted in deep hurts and insecurities below the surface. In fact, some have reached a point where the behavior and thought patterns function similarly to an addiction. While it may seem that the person struggling is in control, they are not. So don't pass judgment. That is the biggest reason people don't come forward when they're, ha- when they're struggling with addictions, eating disorders, drugs, anything that has to do with addiction. They don't want to come forward because they are worried about the judgment. Judgment from friends, family, coworkers, everything. So if your loved one is struggling with these things and has an eating disorder, let them know that they're not being judged. Three, see inside. Choose to see the person struggling for who they truly are beyond the disorder behavior. Never make the comments related to appearance, positive or negative. Even a comment like, you look so good, you can create a cascade of negative thoughts and trigger behavior in the person struggling. Obviously, I'm in recovery, so when people say those type of things for me, it it doesn't trigger me that way. But somebody would have said that to me during my eating disorder when it was, you know, in full effect and when I was really in the moment with it, if someone would have told me those things, and don't get me wrong, people did, it was a trigger every single time. Four, be seen. Find a counselor or a therapist for yourself so you have an outlet to express your concern and worry, frustration, and anger. Find a place to fully express your feelings regarding your struggling loved one so that you can approach them with unconditional love and acceptance. If you're struggling with like the anger and resentment or sadness or anything that has to do with the person who has the disorder, talking to them about it isn't going to be helpful. It's not. Unfortunately, they're not in that place to where they can help you. So seeing somebody professionally, even if it's a friend, you know, anybody, maybe a church member, somebody who you can vent to, is gonna be the best way for you to be able to get through this and for you to be the best support for the person who is struggling. Number five is embrace the process. The road to recovery can be filled with countless setbacks. The person struggling can make progress and then relapse into patterns and destructive behavior. Stand by them, be patient during the setbacks and encourage them to continue on their journey to recovery. Like I said earlier, I do relapse. It's not often, but when I do, I'm honest about it enough to where I can talk to my husband or my therapist or somebody about it and let them know that I have relapsed. And luckily, I've learned from the people around me that support me, it's okay. I made a mistake. I messed up. I relapsed, but I'm going to get back up and I'm going to try again. It doesn't make me a failure. It doesn't make this not worth trying for. It just means I need to use my positive coping skills, use the things that I've learned, and really put my mind in that right place to where I can go back on the right track to recovery. But if I relapse, it's not the end of the world. You just get back up and you try again. Number six would be with all the setbacks and relapses that can occur, it can be difficult for the person struggling with the disorder behavior to believe that their recovery journey has an endpoint. 
When they are discouraged and filled with doubt, hold on to the belief and encourage them to do so as well. Full recovery is possible. So hold on to that hope. That is number six. Hold on to the hope because it will end. It takes work. It takes dedication. And it's something that you are going to have to learn how to live with and deal with on a day-to-day basis. But just like people who are alcoholics and go into recovery for 30 years, 50 years, you have setbacks. Again, you get back up and you continue. And eventually those relapses aren't going to happen anymore. You're going to get on a good track and you're going to be able to live the life that you want without having to worry about this addiction. So yes, it's something you're going to always have to deal with, but it's something that you can definitely control. Again, it just takes the work and dedication and you have to want it for you. So now I just want to kind of give some advice to parents or loved ones of what to look for if they think that their son, daughter, spouse, anybody that they love is struggling with an eating disorder. Appearance, weight loss or weight gain, excessive and quickly. Those are like, that's a red flag right away, especially if it's happened in such a short period and you no, haven't noticed really anything in their diet has changed or you don't see them going to the gym constantly. That's something that you're like, okay, they're losing weight, but how? Really make sure you look into that, question that, and just look for those signs. Um, you know, signs of malnourishment, watch for thin, unhealthy hair, yellowed skin, weak, brittle nails. Just look for that kind of unwell look. Bulimia will present itself with bad teeth due to excessive vomiting. Because of the acid of vomit, many people with bulimia have cavities, tooth decay, sometimes bad breath. They also have what's called lanugo. It's a layer of fine hair that will grow to keep the person who is severely underweight warm. So you might notice that your child is maybe complaining of always being cold. They dress in a lot of layers, both to keep themselves warm and to hide their body because they don't want you to notice their excessive weight loss. If you spot this hair, that is a red flag that your child is underweight. Loss of a period. When a person's body drops below weight enough, their period will stop. I've heard of some girls keeping track of when their period should be so that they can fake it and go through tampons like normal, but some people don't think about it or even notice. So if you suddenly don't even need to buy feminine products for your daughter or your wife or somebody that you love, that is a, that's a red flag. Behaviors. Sometimes there's none and sometimes there's a few. Just like mood swings, crazy mood swings because they're starving and they're like have that hangry personality. Those come out when you're dealing with an eating disorder. That was definitely something that I dealt with. I would have just like all of a sudden crazy mood swings, especially if it was time for dinner, lunch, I was at a barbecue and people were eating. I would get super irritated and bugged and like just in a super bad mood. So my attitude and mood was a huge red flag. Excuses. Oh, I already ate at my friend's house. Oh, my stomach hurts or I'll eat later. You know, things like that that like you say when you're trying to avoid food. Obviously, sometimes it's true. But if you start seeing a pattern of every single time your child is supposed to eat that they're making an excuse, then that's a red flag. If you haven't seen them eat in three days, but they're telling you they have, look into that because that could be an excuse. A couple other things I did want to mention is old food and like food being stuffed away is another big sign. Wrappers, 
um, in their purses, in their room, in their pockets, under their pillows, snacks like stashed away, stashes of wrappers, maybe like at the bottom of the trash can, small portions of food, things like that that, okay, I didn't see him eat that, but it's the wrappers at the bottom of the garbage or things like that that you know you aren't seeing him eat but you're finding the wrappers and stuff. That's a huge flag because that means they're probably eating it on the down low, hidden away in their room in the middle of the night or when nobody's home. And that's most of the time a sign that they are eating in secret because they don't want you to see what they're doing afterwards, which is most likely purging. Next would be exercise habits, strange exercise habits. Like if they're going to the gym 10 times a day or excessively like running and running in miles until like they come home and they look like they're about to throw up. They're doing that consistently, then they're excessively exercising and that's another big sign. At that point, they're becoming obsessed and trying to burn everything that they put in their body and trying to get rid of it. Exercising is great. Most people do it to stay healthy, but there's a line between being healthy and exercising and then overly do it. That was a sign that my therapist was starting to notice when I was in rehab is I would ask to go to the gym and I would literally work out until I threw up. They caught on to that within about the first week. Um, But even now in my adulthood, when I had relapsed, I was going to the gym at least twice a day. But when I would go, it was like a couple hours at a time where I would literally just do cardio for a couple hours straight and sweat myself like my butt off and come home and be in tears because I feel so sick and my legs would be shaking because I overdid it. Excessive exercise is a sign that somebody is obsessing over their weight and their eating disorder is possibly getting out of control. Organizing their food, being very specific about what they eat, placing it on the plate in very small portions. You'll notice when somebody's like calorie counting, if somebody's just calorie counting because they're trying to lose a couple pounds and they're just doing a normal diet, that's different. Somebody who takes a sip of juice or eats a piece of cucumber and then looks it up and sees how many calories or, you know, does those things, puts it on their plate, okay, I can only have five carrots, things like that, you'll notice, okay, that's a little bit odd. Why is she counting her calories that way? Next would be going to the bathroom frequently. Somebody is eating and every single time they eat, they go to the bathroom, that is a sign. Every time your child wants to take a shower, Every night, right after dinner, that is a sign. They go and get a snack. All of a sudden, they need to go to the bathroom afterwards. That's a sign. Kids obviously use the restroom a lot. Teenagers use the restroom, you know, obviously normal. But if you're home only with your kids a few hours a night before bedtime and they've gone 10 times, it's probably a sign that something's going on, especially if it's consistent. Obviously, one day here and there is different. Maybe they have a stomach ache, whatever. But if it's consistent, those are the signs that you really need to look at. Isolating. Teenagers like to just hang out in their room. That's normal. I get it. I was the same way. I loved hanging out in my room. Most teenagers want to be in their room and hanging out. But if they're completely isolating themselves from you, from family, even from friends, that's a huge sign. They don't want to go out with their friends on the weekend, and that's not normal for them. They don't want to come to family functions. That's not normal for them. Look at those signs because they're probably paranoid that people are going to start to notice. Next would be obsessing with their bodies and others' bodies. If they're constantly doing body checks or running their hands over their problem areas 
or pinching, you know, their fat or looking at their reflection at different angles, you know, things like that. You're in a dressing room and they're sitting there just staring at themselves and not really trying on clothes, just like looking at their body when they start shaming themselves. She is so thin and beautiful, but I'm not. That's a huge thing. Idolizing people who have the quote unquote perfect bodies. Those are big signs. When they start getting lethargic, signs of depression, energy levels like super weak, they look tired, dark circles under their eyes. Uh, you know, they get winded just going up a flight of stairs. They may experience fainting spells. You know, those are the signs to definitely look for. Um, they may sleep for a long period of time and still wake up looking exhausted and acting tired. That means they're not getting the fuel that their body needs. Food rituals. When your child is eating, pay attention, not in an obvious way, as it can make them feel even more anxious about eating, but just take note. A person with anorexia may chew their food for long stretches of time, generally counting in their head. Be cautious of their spitting, you know, in their hand, in a napkin, on the floor. They may eat things in a certain order, drink water between every bite, cut their food in little tiny pieces to make it look like they're eating more. People with bulimia may save food for later, quote unquote, because they want to binge and eat it later. Those type of things are huge, huge signs. You might also notice large amounts of food disappearing. You wake up in the middle of the night and there's a box of cereal missing. You know, obviously look into that. Things like that that are missing that you didn't see them eat, that's a sign of binge eating. So I think that just knowing the signs of eating disorders can be a huge, huge help to the person struggling because if people are noticing what to look for, they're going to know that they're not going to get away with it and it's going to make them more cautious and you more cautious to be able to fix the problem. So that's just kind of the advice that I wanted to give everybody today, you know, talk about what I've struggled with with my eating disorder, what I still struggle with. It's something I work on every single day. I think about it every single day, several times a day when I eat a meal, when I eat a snack, those thoughts do cross my mind and it's something I have to fight. If your loved one is struggling with it, be there, be that person, be that rock for them because the eating disorder is rough. Like I said before, Food, we can't escape. We can't escape seeing food every day. It's something, it's a demon that we have to face every single day. And it can be hard. And sometimes more harder than others. Especially if you're dealing with depression or anxiety or something, you know, super stressful is going on in your life. That's when it's really, really hard. Because that's a coping skill. It's one that makes someone who suffered from an eating disorder feel 10 times better when they're done. And that's why it's hard for me because I do sometimes have to admit that I miss that, you know, adrenaline rush of binging and purging or restricting in that control that I had. But I know it's killing me. And I have a family that loves me and I love my family. I have friends that love me and I love my friends. I have things that I want to achieve in my life and people I want to help. And I can't do that if I'm not taking care of my mind, body, and spirit. That all goes hand in hand together. So if I'm mentally sick, my body's sick. If my body's sick, my mental self is sick. You know, it's things like that that go hand in hand and we have to be aware of those things. So if you have anybody who's struggling with these things, I have a few recommendations that could help you get the person help. The first one is NEDA, the National Eating Disorder Association. It is obviously one of the biggest eating disorder places that you can get help from. 
Um, also, Embody Love Movement. You can look on their website, embodylovemovement.com. Embody is E as in Edward, M as in Mary, bodylovemovement.com. Next, GERS is a publishing company that specializes in eating disorder recovery, providing resources for those in recovery as well as supportive loved ones. Also, there is Academy for Eating Disorders. The Academy for Eating Disorders provides research and educational resources for professionals, but also has a searchable database to find experts in eating disorder treatment. Last is Lane 9 Project. Committed to helping active women with disordered eating, the Lane 9 Project uses their newsletter and podcast to raise awareness and bring attention to distorted body image and eating disorders. So here are some resources for our parents and loved ones who have somebody that is struggling with eating disorders. And you know, if you have any questions, feel free to DM me on any of my social medias, Candle in a Dark Room on Instagram or Facebook. Um, I can help you give more resources, especially in Utah, if you know someone who is struggling with an eating disorder. Um, That is all for today, guys. I appreciate you listening to me and tuning in every couple weeks. I will be adding more information about my podcast launch party, which is August 10th. So make sure you follow the page Candle in a Dark Room on Facebook to kind of get up to date information on that. If you want to have a booth to kind of support what we're doing, then message me and I can definitely arrange that for you. If you guys have any other questions, also, even if it doesn't have to do with eating disorders or what we talked about today, I am always somebody that is willing to listen to you, and I love reading your messages, so make sure that you reach out if there's anything that I can do. I appreciate all of you, and I will talk to you soon. Thanks, guys.